Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're uh, continuing our walk through the book of Isaiah. We're actually coming to the close because we're going to be moving into Advent next week. And today we are in a, I think, in a good place in these next two days to finish off with Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 60, which really open up kind of God's confrontation of the people and God's promise of what he's going to do in response. And so we're in Isaiah 59, 59 which ends the confrontation um, and then tomorrow we'll be in Isaiah 60, which talks about the light that God is bringing. So we are in Isaiah 59, the sorted verses, where we read this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers, and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. We know that we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Dave, as I was looking at this passage, I, I really thought that there is kind of a, uh, a, a a pattern or a progression that is going on here as, as God, through the prophet Isaiah, is confronting the people. And I think it could serve as a good model for how we choose to confront people um, either at a societal level um, or even in our individual relationships. And so there's three things I see Isaiah doing. Uh, first of all, he starts with a challenge. He's speaking to the people on God's behalf. So he's acting as an agent. Uh, in verse three, he says, your hands are the hands of murderers and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. And so this is really a response in many ways to their question. They're wondering, you know, is God too weak? Is God's arm not strong enough to save us? Is, you know, do God, does God need to get a hearing aid? Now, he doesn't seem to hear us. And, and, and Isaiah's like, no, the reason why God is not answering your prayers, it should be obvious to you, but let's spell it out. It's because your sin has distanced you from God and God will not honor this. God will not hear your prayers. And this challenge in this honesty about the, the problem that they're facing, this confrontation, leads naturally to, or hopefully naturally, to a second place, which is prayer. So it starts off with Isaiah speaking to the people on behalf of God, but now he's speaking to God 
on behalf of the people. You know, when we discover that we cannot change people, that that is beyond our power, it's above our pay grade, all we can do is we can give people the opportunity to change and, and invite God to make that change happen. So Isaiah moves to prayer. In verse 13, he says, we know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how fair and unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. So Isaiah, I think it's really interesting here. He he owns the sins of the people. He confesses them as he own as his own. He doesn't say you anymore. He says we. And he doesn't excuse himself. And I think this is something that's often missing in the type of confrontation that we use today. A lot of people like to, in Christian circles, refer to themselves as, as prophets. But I, I see here what the prophet does that many of our modern day so-called prophets don't do is he he identifies with the people and says, this is us. I'm part of this problem rather than saying just you and pointing the finger at them. So this is the second. So he's spoken to the people on behalf of God. He's spoken to God on behalf of the people. And then this third thing is he brings that together and he lays out what God's response will be to all of this. And verse 15 to following, he says, the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm. And uh, we you know, saw this in Isaiah 53 and other places about how uh, the type of justice that has to happen is not going to come about through our power. God is going to have to do this. God has done this through Jesus. And God will remain faithful with this response, uh, bringing, if we choose not to turn away from our sin, God will bring justice. If we choose to turn from our sin, God says that he's going to be faithful and he's going to uh, forgive us, absolve us of our sins. And I, I'm reminded, and we actually often use this wording from First uh, John verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that if we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us um, from all wickedness. So I, I personally, I really find this three-part process instructive. And I think it's uh, something that we could do well to remember when we're confronting other people about their individual misdeeds or whether it's larger injustices that, that we do need to take that bold step to to speak to the people on behalf of God rather than just remaining silent. If, if no one says anything, it's easy to think that it's okay, that everyone else thinks it's okay, even if it's not. And then that second step, but also then to speak to God on behalf of the people, like Isaiah, to acknowledge our own part in this and to not allow that to stop us, not, not allow that to stop us from saying something, but also to um, not stop talking at once we've addressed people, but to bring it to God, knowing that God has to be involved. And then third of all, of course, to remember God's faithfulness in all of this, that God's faithfulness may come out as judgment if we refuse to turn, but it also may come out as forgiveness and absolution if we're willing to admit our part in this and, and bring it before God and ask for mercy. Dave, I'm wondering what you see in this passage. Wow. You know, a few things. You've done a great job uh, outlining all this. Um, I, I want to dial in for a second on, on uh, verse two. It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. And I think this is an important verse. Our sins actually do have a consequence. God does care about them. And yet God's response is not to hate us, right? God's response is to invite us to change. God's not rejecting us. God's inviting us towards repentance and renewal. He's saying the way that you guys are, are treating each other is going to affect whether I'm actually listening to your prayers. And uh, 
And I think that, that being able to understand that our lives do have impacts on our, our, our daily lives have impacts on our spiritual lives. And I think a lot of us want to separate those things. Uh, and we think God's going to separate them. I actually had a, a very instant, interesting experience recently where somebody was asking me to pray with him, asking for God's guidance in about a particular situation. Uh, and as he described the situation, it was clear he, he was in an unhealthy situation. Like it was a, in, in a sinful situation. So he's asking for God's guidance about another thing. And I said, well, uh, it seems like maybe we ought to talk about this thing because this one, I definitely know God's will on this. Don't even need to pray that much about it. Well, no, I'm not really ready to deal with that. You know, I really want God to know what God wants with this other area of his life. And we went back and forth and I finally said, you know, I don't know why God would tell you the next instruction if you haven't obeyed the last one, right? If you're ignoring what you know that God is saying, then why is it you're calling out for God to say something else, right? I, and, and I think that that's the, um, I, you know, I, I just think for us to be able to recognize, you know what? A lot of us have some area of our lives where we know what God wants, but it's hard, it's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable. I just don't want to deal with that. And we want to put it aside. And But I want to have this great, exciting relationship with God. And I want to serve and I want to be a, a part of the kingdom. And I want to have a great, vibrant small group and a great, vibrant prayer life. And you think, friends, these, these things are connected. And so I think this is actually kind of a... Um, I just think that's all worth hearing, right? And it's not just this line. It's many other times. We oftentimes think, oh, God's just given up on me. Right? God's just walked away. But no, no, no. You actually have agency here, right? It's your sins that have cut you off from God, Isaiah says. It's because of your sins he has turned away and will not listen anymore. But the clear implication of the rest of this passage is you also have agency to change this. And I think that maybe leads to the second comment. I don't know if I'll have time to catch this, but... That you were talking about the the way that Isaiah was a prophet and kind of how he was um, he wasn't castigating the people, right? He was saying, "Hey, I'm one of them," right? And you you outlined very well those three different parts. And I, you know, just very recently, I was sharing with a group of men who are, are kind of leaders in their fields how how I understand leadership in my field, but I think it's applicable to everybody. It's applicable to parenting. It's applicable to any form of leadership. Um, I think there's three ways. I think there's there's the people who, you know, the, the group, the herd, right? They always want us to just to be able to stay the way we are. And we want to, I don't want to have to change. Change the thing people hate more than anything else. And and so what they're going to do is ask the leaders to become chaplains, right? Just coddle us. Let us stay the way we are and tell us we're great. Tell us we're good just the way we are. Nothing's our fault. I have no responsibility, right? Just tell me that. That's what I want you to hear. And I want you to just tell me God loves me the way that I am. And, and and on the other side, we end up seeing so many, what I think of as sort of the self-proclaimed or self-righteous prophets who are going to say, oh, you all, you are sinners. And and, and they're going to be very separate and, and sort of angry at the people. And the prophet feels very self-righteous. I was, I was the good one. They, those people, they don't want to listen to God, but I sure do. And, and, and yet they're not actually helping lead the people at all, right? They're just they're putting the people down and the people feel less inclined to make changes than ever. But, but the pastoral leader, and I think that's what uh, and I, we see Isaiah doing here and, and what you've pointed out, the pastoral leader is the person who can step outside from the crowd and say, Hey, there is a better way. And, and there, there's some unhealth here and I'm going to step into this different way, but I'm going to stay so connected to you that you can come along with me. And I want to, I want in the way that you can see it, I want to show you this better way. I want to live it out. 
And I think this is what, as pastors, when we live among the people, hopefully the people are seeing in us. And if you're a spiritual leader, it's hopefully what people are seeing in you. If you're a small group leader, if you are a parent, it's hopefully what your kids are seeing, is I'm different from you. And I want you to see, in fact, Hebrew says, right, consider your leaders and the outcome of their way of life and imitate them, right? I think it's Hebrews 13. And so there's this way that we want to let people say, hey, this is what my life looks like, and it's different from yours. And now I'm, I'm going to actually compel you to make a choice, to make a decision, to have some agency, to repent of some of those other ways of thinking and think this way instead and to do something different. And I think what leaders do is they call people to agency and maturity, right? Or maybe better put, responsibility and maturity. And I think that's what I want to do in my parenting. It's what I want to do as being a pastor. I, I'm, I'm not trying to put people down and I'm also not trying to puff them up. I'm trying to challenge them to new life. And I, I think you're absolutely right to point out this is what we see Isaiah doing so well. He's saying hard things and he's coming alongside and being very, very connected and invitational to invite the people in this new place rather than just either letting them stay stuck or yelling at them for being stuck. Uh, and I think too often, unfortunately, in all fields, that's what the kind of leadership we too often see, which is why we we don't see people being transformed, I think, in many cases. And, and I think the thing that, that ties all these things together and, and the reason Isaiah is able to, to act in this way and, and, and mirror what God is, how God is relating to the people is because it comes from love. Love is what pulls those things together to want to challenge and also be with people. And, and that's kind of what we talked about yesterday. The heart of real worship is love. And we see Isaiah kind of displaying that here faithfully. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, may I close us in prayer? Yeah. Lord, above all these other things, we are so thankful for your love that never fails. Whether we're sinning or whether we're just ignoring you or whether we're following you with everything we've got, your love never changes. We long to know you more. We long to love you better. God, we long to be transformed by your work in us. So God, I pray that you would continue to speak hard truths and speak true love in a way that allows us to be transformed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I invite you to join us back tomorrow as we kind of conclude our walk through Isaiah and, and with a passage that really is a wonderful lead-in for Advent. So go in peace. <laughs>